Okay, we are holding in the Sefer Shoftim. We began with Yeshua, the first book of the Nevi'im, and then we've been working on the Sefer Shoftim. We took a break for two weeks as we did the, the Basi Lagani Maimer in honor of Yitzvah. But now we're back to Shoftim, and we are by chapter 13, Perik Yud Gimel. And we're going through the Shoftim, the judges of Klal Yisrael one by one. Remember, the general theme here is we're talking about the couple of hundred years from when the Jewish people entered into the land of Eretz Yisrael until ultimately we'll have our first king. And we're getting closer and closer to that time of Shaul HaMalach, as we'll see, and then we'll have the first base HaMikdash will be built ultimately. So that begins a new era called the era of the Melachim, the kings. But this era, the era of the Shoftim, the era of the judges, and as we've been discovering, it's a very uh, difficult time, time full of ups and downs, um, a lot of downs and then ups very much dependent on the behavior of Klal Yisrael and their adherence to Hashem, the Torah and Mitzvahs, but throughout the time there's this great flux where we fall and then we're persecuted by uh, negative by uh, different nations. And then when we do tshuva, we're saved by different shoiftim, by different great judges. Most of them were great judges um, who would save us from the hands of our oppressors. And we've gone through a number of them. In fact, we already went through the first 13 shoiftim the first 13 judges, the first of them being Yehoshua ben Nun, the successor to Moshe Rabbeinu, who brought us into the land of Eretz Yisrael. And then we went through, again, many a number of them. Some of them are not famous and we don't know much about. Some of them are more famous. And that brings us to where we're at. Again, Perik Yud Gimel, chapter 13 in Shaftim. And now we come to the story of perhaps one of the most famous of all of the Shaftim, one of the most fav- famous of all the judges, and that is Shimshon known as Shimshon, Hagibar, Samson, who um, famously, uh, even amongst uh, Jews and non-Jews alike, is famously known like the symbol of strength. He had this uh, this miraculous superhuman strength, and the stories told about Shimshon are just beyond, talking about his gevura, his uh, physical strength, and therefore he becomes one of the heroes of the Bible, so to speak, and uh, so many and you know many stories about Shimshon and it becomes again a symbol for that. But the story of Shimshon is a story that's again not an easy story, and there's um, it's a painful time, and even Shimshon himself is somewhat of an enigma as we find by some of the shayftim that we have. Um, on the one hand, definitely someone who is um, a vessel to be a a judge and a savior for Klal Yisrael in many ways, and a vehicle for tremendous miracles of Hashem. And at the same time, not free of fault either. Um, in him we find the concept of kol ha-godel yitzray godel heimenu. On the one hand, he was this tremendous person with great spiritual powers. On the other hand, he had some certain nisyoyne, um, certain tests and certain difficulties which brought, to, which brought him his downfalls. His downfalls themselves, as we'll see as we go through the story of Shimshon. Um, really, there's, I don't think any other Shafit has four entire chapters that are devoted to his story. And in fact, I don't think tonight we're going to get through the entire story of Shimshon. Um, but it's the chapters Yud Gimel, Yud Dalet, Tezvav, and Tezayin, 13, 14, 15, and 16, are all are all the story of, um, of Shimshon. So, um, Shimshon comes from the tribe of Dun. And in fact, when you go back to the Chumash and we have the Birchos Yaakov, when Yaakov blesses his children at the end of his life in the last parsha of Bereshis, 
So when he comes to the Shevet of Don, he, there's a few psukim over there. Don, Yodin, Amoy, Don will judge his nation. Ka'achat Shiftei Yisrael. And Yaakov gives a few psukim. And according to Rashi, they're all referring to, to Shimshon. So Shimshon was the greatest leader ever to emerge from the tribe of Don. And uh, again, according to Rashi and other, other commentators of the Chumash, some argue with Rashi. But Rashi, the primary commentator, explains how all the Barachas of Yaakov are really referring to that great Shefet, that great judge, which is going to come from his children. Okay, but let's go in order. So the, um, the chapter uh, 13 begins with the fact that, once again, the Yidden started doing bad in the eyes of Hashem, and now the Plishtim, the Philistines, um, become the ones that are in charge, and they oppress the Jewish people. Um, as the Pasuk says, the Jewish people once again started doing bad in the eyes of Hashem. They're going to be under the rule of the Plishtim for 40 years. What's interesting to note is that throughout the story of Shimshon, we are going to be under the rule of the Plishtim. And in that way, as we'll see, Shimshon is going to be different than the other judges that we read about. The other judges, when they ruled they were able to uh, overthrow the rule of those who oppressed them. In the time of Shimshon, it wasn't that way. The Plishtim were always the rulers, but they were afraid of Shimshon, as we'll see soon in the various stories of Shimshon, that they, uh, they're afraid of Shimshon, and therefore they don't harm the Jewish people. But it's never like Shimshon is his own ruler against the Plishtim, and the Jews become independent of them. That's not the case in the story of Shimshon. Again, it seems that the Jewish people are not worthy of that, that they should have their own independence at that time. But nevertheless, Shimshon is going to protect them from the, Shim, from the Plishtim who rule them at that time. Okay, so the passing begins that there was a man from the tribe of Dun. His name was Manoyach. And his wife was, was barren. They could not have any children. Ishtay Akora. His wife was an Akora. She could not have children. The Pasuk doesn't tell us the name of his wife. The Gemara tells us his Tzilalafoynis was her name. The Pasuk doesn't say that. But the Pasuk says that this woman was in the field and a Malach Hashem, an angel of Hashem, appeared to her. And he tells her that you are an Akara, you can't have children, but you will have a, you will, you will have a child, you will have a son. And he gives her a unique mitzvah, a unique commandment, and that is that this child that, give, that you give birth to should not drink wine of any form he will be a Nazir. He will be a Nazir for Hashem. Now, the, the halacha of Nazir is a, uh, a parsha in the Torah, and parsha Nasai and Chumash Bamidbar. And that is that there's a person who accepts upon himself to be holy for Hashem and removed from certain things. And what the primary thing is wine. A Nazir can't drink wine or grapes in any form. A Nazir also cannot defile on themselves or become tummy in any way. A Nazir is someone that's removed. Nazir, the word Nazir really means to remove and closer to Hashem on a spiritual level. And here we have that the Malach tells this woman that your son, it says again, you are barren, you can't have children, but you're going to have a son, and that son should be a Nazir for Hashem, and therefore you already from this point and on, because you're going to be pregnant with this son, so you already shouldn't partake of wine or anything that a Nazir may not, um, may not partake of. Um, and also he can't he can't cut his hair. That's another thing with a nazir. A nazir is not able to cut his hair. And he, the the Mala tells the woman he says, yachil es miyat This child that you have 
is going to begin to bring about a salvation for the Jewish people from the hands of the Plishtim. That's what the Malach says. Um, th- that's the, the basic um, opener of the Perik. It's, it's some, just two quick comments. One is, the halacha of Nazir in the Torah is that a person can make a neder to become a Nazir. Here we have something very unique, that a Malach is telling a mother that your son is going to be a Nazir. How does that work? I mean, the son wasn't born yet. And the son would have to decide on his own to become a Nazir. Um, how do you become a Nazir when a Malach tells your mother before you're born that your son will be a Nazir? Like, with what... How does that work in the halachas of Nazir? So I don't want to go get into the technicals of the laws of Nazir, but it's a big issue amongst the commentaries how this worked in the practical law of Nazir. And just to give you one point that the Rebbe says something very interesting, and that is um, he gives he brings a halachic uh, equivalent, which is if you have a um, if you have parents, for example, that would adopt a child, and the child is not Jewish, and they want to bring up a Jewish child. So what what's done halachically even today? What is done? is that the child is converted, but the conversion is really um, conditional. That when the child becomes bar bas mitzvah, the child will agree and that, yes, they want to remain Jewish. And if then they do, so then that then the initial conversion is valid from when it was, when the child was a baby. And that's halacha that's practiced very much till today. And the same works with this nazirus. What, what the malach was telling um, Shimshon's mother is that you should bring up this child as a Nazir. From, from birth, this child should not uh, partake in any type of grape or wine or anything like that, should not have a haircut, and should not become Tomei, should not become defiled. And therefore, when the child will become Bar Mitzvah, if he will then agree to this, then that Nazirus will have already been, um, uh, have started from birth. And that's how, how, that's how the Rebbe sees the story of Shimshon, that the, uh, he's already being started at something from birth and even before birth, with the understanding that ultimately it's going to have to be his decision when he becomes a mechuyi v'mitzvah, when he becomes a bar mitzvah. And that's how that concept of Nazirus works. Yes? Right. Yes, yes, yes. Mother, mother, mother. No, no. Yeah. yeah. Shimshon's wives were his problems. We'll see soon. But <laughs> big problem. As far as far as I know, I don't I don't see any reason to think differently. Yeah, I mean, uh, if someone shows me differently, then fine. But as far as I know, that the answer is yes. Um, okay, one more point is that the Malach tells her he says, So the word yachel is an interesting word in Hebrew. It could mean he began, but the Gemara says it also means something else. It means that like there's to be mechalel is to. Uh, uh, to when something becomes, um, when something is desecrated, and he says that really there was an, a there was a pact between Avram Avinu and the Plishtim back in Chumash. Avram and Avimelech was the king of Plishtim made a pact. Something that even came up in one of our classes earlier, where Avram told Avimelech, "I will not, um, I will not go to war against your descendants." And Shimshon is going to be the one who is going to go to war against the Pelishtim. 
So the Malach is already telling his mother that it is the Plishtim nowadays that violated the pact with Avimelech because they have begun oppressing the Jewish people. And therefore your son now has the ability and has the heter, so to speak, is, per, is permitted to be the one who's going to save the Jewish people from the Plishtim once they already violated the pact that was made between Avimelech and Avram. So that's something that the Gemara learns from this words, these words, Vuhu Yachel, that, uh, that he will be able to He'll be permissible to fight the battle of the Jewish people against the Pelishtim against once they already violated the pact that was made with them. Um, but perhaps one more interesting point. We're going to see that really what's uh, where Pinchas, where um, where Shimshon's downfall is going to lie, is going to be with women. Um, Shimshon is going to have this tremendous um, desire, um, which is going to attract him to women of, of Plishtim, Philistine women, Plishtim women, which he's going to desire, and then he's going to have them convert, and he's going to marry one and then another, and every time that's going to be his downfall. His downfall is in his in his desire and relationship for Plishti women, um, as the story of Shimshon is going to play itself out. And it's fascinating that the one mitzvah that Shimshon was given before um, before his, he's born even, is to be a Nazir. What's the connection of a Nazir with someone who's going to have to fight the impulses, his impulses and his desire for Plishti women? So it's interesting that going back to the Chumash, where is the, the mitzvah of Nazir is given? Right after the mitzvah of Sota, which is again, which is a woman who's accused, who there's a doubt at least, of whether she's being faithful to her husband. And there Rashi tells us in Chumash, that when a person sees that they're somehow susceptible um, to the types of um, sin, sinful behaviors of a sota woman or a man who will, who will, um, who's drawn towards such behavior, so a person has to take um, precautionary measures. And one is, for example, not to drink wine. In other words, one has to see where their weakness lies and therefore take precautionary measures not to go in that direction. And that's what Rashi says in the parsha of, of, of Saita. He says that a person who sees the story of the Saita should take this as a sign from heaven to become a Nazir, to separate themselves from wine, separate themselves from activity that might bring them down such a lane, down such a path. And therefore we have Shimshon, who his unique Nisayan is going to be with his relationship with women, and he is told even before birth, his Holta's mother, his mitzvah is to be to try to separate himself and be more holy and be more kaddish and not uh, not not touch wine and be that nazir. That's an interesting idea that the Mefarshim bring out here about this. The only person that we know of, the only time the Torah tells us of someone that even before birth is told to be a nazir. Okay, that's that's the opener. So basically, we have the malach. He comes to uh, to her and to the woman, and he says, "You can have a son." and he's going to be a shofate, and he should be a nazir. Okay, and the malach disappears. Now the woman doesn't know really it's an angel from Hashem. He came in a guise of a human being, came as a person who told her this message. It says the woman goes and tells her husband. She says, a man came to me, and he looked like an angel, looked very fearful. I didn't ask him who he is, I didn't ask him his name, and he told me that I'm going to become pregnant, I'm going to bear a son, and he told me I shouldn't drink wine. That's what she tells her husband, Manoyach. Manoach is not a prophet. Manoach is a regular Yid, a good God-fearing Jew. So it says that Manoach davens to Hashem and he says, Hashem, whatever happened, let it happen again. 
says, a person came to my wife and he told her she didn't have a son and different halachas. I would like to see him myself. I'd like to ask him what this is all about. The Pasuk says, Hashem listens to Manoach and he sends the Malach again. But again to the woman, to the wife, not to Manoach. And the Malach comes to, uh, to the woman again and she's out in the fields. And again, her husband is not with her. So she asks the, the Malach, and again, she doesn't really know that it's an angel although she's, she suspects it. She says, can you wait? I want to call my husband. And she runs and she calls her husband and comes Manoach. She calls Manoach says, you know, that, that man who came to me, he came again. So Manoach goes after his wife and, they come to the, and he comes to the person and he says, are you the person who spoke to my wife? And he says, that's me. And he says, so, so what is it? Tell me. And he tells over the same thing now to the husband and wife. He says, whatever I told your wife, this is what she has to be careful of. Anything that comes from a grape, she shouldn't eat. There shouldn't, she shouldn't uh, defile, defile herself, become tummy to a dead person, everything that I said. Okay, Menoyach says, thank you. And he says, okay, can we give you something to eat? Can we, can we invite you in for a meal? So he says, Malach says, I'm not, I can't eat your bread. If you want to bring a carbon, bring a carbon for Hashem. Menoyach says to him, what's your name? How do I call you? And he says, why are you asking my name? My name remains wondrous. My name remains concealed. Or as the Mepharshim say, that a Malach's name is changeable, changes according to his mission. Whatever, based on what my mission is, that's what I'm called. I don't have a name. So, Manach takes the carbon to bring a carbon for Hashem. He takes a, uh, a goat and he puts it on the, uh, on the on the stone and immediately a, a fire flickers up from the stone and that's miraculous. And as the fire is flickering and consuming the carbon, the Malach goes up with the fire, with the, uh, with the flames of the fire. And at this point, Manoach and his wife, especially Manoach, becomes overcome with fear. He said, we saw a Malach of Hashem. Manoach says, I'm sure we're going to die. If we saw that we're able to see such a vision, we're not spiritual people, we're not holy people, we're not tzaddikim. And his wife calms him down and says, if Hashem would have wanted to uh, kill us, he wouldn't have shown us this uh, revelation and he wouldn't have uh, give us, given us these brachas. There's no question that this is uh, we're not we're not going to die, and we have a mission that we are we are able that we are we have the bracha to do, and that's and she's able to calm him down, and that's what happens. And the pasuk the chapter finishes isha bain that she gave birth to a son. Um, she calls him shimshon, and the child grows, and he's a child that is that is full of Hashem's brachas. Um, they're able to see many blessings of Hashem in this child. And he begins having Ruach HaKodesh, a sense of, of, of Nevoah. Of Nevoah is able to foretell things. It says, That the Ruach Hashem, the spirit of Hashem, would ring within him, or from time to time, according to the Mepharshim, in, uh, in, in Don. Okay, that is Perik Yud Gimel, the first Perik of the story of Shimshon. The prophecy, as it was given over from the Malach once, and then the second time to the husband and wife with a mitzvah, um, special mitzvah, unique mitzvah, that he should be a nazir, not become tummy. And Shimshon is born in the end of Perak Yud Gimel, per, uh, chapter 13. Okay, let's go straight into chapter 14. Shimshon is already grown up, and he's already known as a unique young man. It says, Vayered Timnosa. That Shimshon goes down to Timnasa. And everything in the Torah is exact. We, we heard about Timnasa one more time in the Torah, way earlier, in the story of Yehuda. Yehuda and Tamar. It's also one of the interesting stories of the Torah. 
And there it says, Vayal Yehuda Timnasa. Yehuda was going up to Timnas, and that's where he, he had uh, he met Tamar, his daughter-in-law, and they gave birth ultimately to uh, parrots. That's all the Pasha's Bereshis. But here's the second time in the Torah that this Timnasa is mentioned. And it says, Vayiru Timnasa, Shimshon goes down Timnasa, Vayar Isha. He sees a woman, a Plishti woman, and he comes home and he tells his parents, I want that, well, I want to be married to that woman. And the parents say, why? <laughs> he says, why a Plishti woman? You don't have any women amongst Klal Yisrael that you have to marry, you have to find a Plishti woman. And the Mepharshim say, of course, that, that um, Shimshon said he would, that the woman would convert, she was willing to convert. And nevertheless, it, it, was, it seemed it was negative to his parents, and it was negative that he was following his eyes, that he saw this Plishti woman and he wants to marry her. But the Pasuk says, The parents don't know that this is ultimately Hashem is causing this to happen. And here, here we have an interesting concept, and the Mepharshim talk about it, which is, on the one hand, as we said, Shimshon is criticized. Shimshon is criticized that he saw a Plishti woman and he decided he wants to marry her and he goes about trying to um, see to it that she should convert and get married to him, which is what happens. And as we'll see, that's going to cause his downfall. On the other hand, while this is happening, this is a story that's playing out that Hashem wants it to play out in this way. And why is that? Shimshon, as we're going to see, is going to have to fight the Plishtim. However, he's not going to fight the Plishtim as the leader of the Jewish people. He's going to fight the Plishtim as a Jew who keeps on getting into fights with the Plishtim, and for a personal reason, so to speak. And this is the, um, I said this at the beginning, this is the difference between Shimshon, the way he helped the Jewish people, versus Devorah earlier, or Gidon earlier, or Yiftach earlier, all of the great judges, Asniel ben Knaz, all of the judges we learned about till now, fought the oppressors of the Jewish people as the leader of the Jewish people. As he had fought them as an official uh, rebellion of the Jewish people against their oppressors. The story of Shimshon from A to Z is different. Shimshon is never the elected leader of the Jewish people. He's never the official um, leader in battle. He's always acting as a lone Jew who keeps on getting into fights, altercations with the Plishtim. And because he's a mighty Jew, and because he also serves as a judge for the Jewish people, so therefore the Plishtim are going to leave off the Jewish people. But it's always personal. He has a per- he gets into personal fights with the Plishtim. And that's what the Pasuk tells us. It says, Shimshon has this, this crazy desire. He wants to marry a Plishti woman. He doesn't himself know exactly why. His parents don't definitely, know, definitely don't know why. And the Pasuk itself tells us, Kimi Hashem that it's Hashem who's behind this, to create that Shimshon is relating on a personal level with the Plishtim, and therefore, as we'll see, he's getting angry with them and fighting them and so on and so forth. Anyhow, but that's the story that Shimshon tells his parents, I want to marry this woman. And the uh, the parents initially are against it, but the, the, Shimshon says that's what it's going to do. So Shimshon is heading back now to the, um, he, he, he went down to Timnasa, he sees the woman, he goes up to his parents, now he comes back down, and here the Pasuk tells us a story that's become very, very famous, and one of the stories that's most uh, connected to the famous uh, Gvura of uh, Shimshon, Pasuk says, as he's coming down to Timnas, he's attacked by a lion, right? Kfira Royas, a young lion, attacks him in the, in the way, and the spirit of Hashem is with him, 
and he's able to destroy the lion with his bare hands. He's able to tear apart the lion and kill the lion without any weapon, without anything. And, and Shimshon didn't tell this to anyone. Then he comes back, he goes down, and he talks to the woman about marrying him, and she agrees. So now Shimshon goes back up to his parents um, to bring them down to Timnasa to go and meet this woman and go and set up the a wedding. And as he's going back and forth, the next time he comes back, and here we have the Pasuk telling us just, uh, just interesting stories, that as he's coming back, he passes the carcass of the lion, the carcass of the lion that he killed. And he sees that a big um, a big beehive came to be within the carcass of the lion. So there's thousands of bees that are there. They made themselves a home in the carcass of that lion that he killed. And he sees this big beehive, and the beehive has a lot of honey in it. And it says he's able to take some of the honey, and he eats it. He eats it himself. He gives his parents to eat. Okay. The story continues. They come back down, and they set up a big chasana. Big wedding in Timnasa with Pinchas and this Plishti woman who converted. New Chasna is there, so you have uh, from the Chasna side, you just have Shimshon and his parents. And from the Kala side, from the Plishtim, it says there's 30 family friends who came and they were celebrating together. They made a big Mishta, a big, uh, big uh, I say a Mishta, Mishta is a, uh, a feast, thank you, right? That's what you're mouthing, right? A feast. And um, it says a Mishta Shivas Yaman. Sheva brachas. In fact, it's interesting. The Medrash says, <laughs> you're smiling, the Medrash says that we have twice in Tanakh that we read about Sheva brachas. We know we have concept of seven days of Sheva brachas. Um, where, where are the twice in Tanakh we have Sheva brachas? One time is with Yaakov and Rachel and Leah, right? Because because Yaakov first marries Leah, you know, again, he didn't restrict into it, and then he says, I'll marry Rachel, so the Apostle says, we have to wait seven days because there's the seven days of Simcha. So he waits seven. That's the first time we have in Tanakh Shavu Baruchas, and the second time is Shimshon. These are the two sources in Tanakh for the concept of Shavu Baruchas. Which, I, just as an aside, I just want to tell you halachically, it's important I think to know there is no chiyuv, there's no obligation to have a meal a Shavu Baruchas every day for seven days. Um, many do it, many have the custom to do it, um, but it's definitely there's no such chiyuv. The chiyuv is that throughout the seven days, if you're making a meal, a special meal for Qasim Kala, then you do Sheva Brachas, and you do the benching of the seven Brachas, but definitely it's not a Chiyuv, and it's important to know, especially nowadays, sometimes it's difficult to have, you know, every depending on where you live and what's going on, but you don't can't always have Sheva Brachas every day, which is perfectly fine. It's not in any way halachic. My grandfather, bless his memory, he was told us that from Poland before the war it was very unusual that someone should have all seven days Sheva Brachas. He said only only big Rabbonim or very wealthy people. That wasn't the regular way at all. Okay, I, I digress. Back here. So there's a, Shimshon has the big, uh, the, the, the big feast for seven days on the occasion of his marriage with this Plishti woman. And then we have here an interesting thing. The Pasuk says that, pin, that the Chassan says, first day Sheva Brachas says, I have a riddle. And he faces all the, the plishti men, because you have these 30 plishti men that come. He says, I have a riddle that I want to share. And if you get the riddle, then I'm going to have to give you 30 sets of clothing. If you don't get the riddle, you'll have to give me 30 sets of clothing. What's the riddle? He says, the riddle is, tell me what, tell me the, uh, tell me, he says, from the one who normally eats others, food came forth. And from that which is usually tough, came out sweetness. 
That was the, that was the riddle, famous riddle of Shimshon. Meha'ochel yatsa ma'achel. From the eater comes out food. Me'az, from that which is tough, yatsa masik comes out the sweetness. What am I talking about? It says you have seven days till the end of Sheva Brachas, and we'll see who wins this. Do you guys get it or you don't get it? So it says that the 30, that the, uh, the no one had any clue what he was talking about. And we know the answer because we just read the story with the lion. But nobody, they didn't know. He hadn't told the story to anyone. He hadn't even told the story to his parents. Nobody knew about him killing the lion and nobody knew about the bees and the honey. Nothing. So it says that the Plishti men went to the Kala. They went to the, uh, um, Shimshon's new wife. And they put pressure on her, said, you're part of us, you're a plishti like us, and what do you, you're going to have that, that we're all going to lose. And they put a lot of pressure, and she said, okay, I'm going to get the answer. And says she cried to her new husband, and she says, that you don't really love me, and so on and so forth, why can't you tell me? And he said, I didn't even tell my parents. Yeah, long story short, she got the answer out of him. And she told it to her plishti friends. Came the end of the seven days, and, and Shimshon says, "No, you have the answer." And they say, "Yeah, we have the answer." And they said, "You know what could be uh, stronger than a lion, and what could be, uh, you know, tougher, and what could be sweeter than honey? It must be that a lion died, and it must be that honey was taken from the lion." And they tell him the whole thing. And and uh, uh, Shimshon saw immediately right through it. He saw exactly what must have happened here, and he says, "There's no way that you would have known this." Without you um, pressuring my my new wife, and there's no way that she didn't betray me. And it says that he was, became very, very angry. On the one hand, he had a promise that he had to keep, and the promise was that he would give the 30 sets of clothing to the plishtim. Um, on the other hand, he felt betrayed by, the, by his wife and by the plishtim. And it says he went out and he killed 30 plishtim and took their garments and gave it to these 30 plishtim. And then he went back home. He went back with his parents. He didn't stick around. And the plishtim saw what's going on. They took his wife this new wife, and gave her to a different man, a plishti. And that's how the Perik finishes, chapter 14. So chapter 15 begins, then now, uh, as far as Shimshon was concerned, he had never divorced his wife, he just went back home because he was angry. He comes back sometime later, and he wants to find his wife. And they tell her, her, her father tells her, no, I saw you left, I saw you were angry, I gave her to a different man. You know, take her sister, what's the difference? And now, now, now he's extremely angry. He's angry at his wife who betrayed him. He's angry at his father. He's angry at the plishtim. And he says, he says, now I'm, I'm clean from anything that I'm going to do to avenge myself from the plishtim. And here, Pincha, here he takes, uh, again, another story that's pretty famous. He takes 300 uh, foxes and he ties their tails together two by two. He lights a fire by them to get them wild and he sends them out in all the plishti fields. And he burns down all the plishti fields and the tzvu and everything. Makes a tremendous fire, burns down a lot of the uh, of the of that whole city of Plishtim. And the Plishtim are looking at us, who did this? What's going on? Why is everything burning down? Oh, and they say, oh, it's, it's Shimshon because his wife was taken and given to a different man. So the Plishtim get very angry, both at uh, Shimshon's wife and his father-in-law. Says they put them. The, the Plishtim come and they take his wife and her father and they put them to death. And then, but they're also angry at uh, Shimshon. They attack Shimshon. Shimshon is able to to um, smite many plishtim then, at that point. So as, as we see, as I'm going through the story, I'm just going back to what we said earlier, that all of uh, all of Shimshon's, um, how do you say, fights or battles with the plishtim is all on 
personal personal issues, right? It's his wife and is getting upset with the other plishtim, and then the wife going to another person, and that's how the story of plisht, of of, of uh, Shimshon is different, as I already said before, that he's never officially avenging the Jewish people. He's fighting the plishtim all by getting involved with them, and then being betrayed by them, and therefore fighting with them, and so on. Okay, the pasuk goes on. Let's go a little bit further. And it says that now the plishtim are mad. They see that this Shimshon is a madman. He's someone that uh, nobody can control. And he keeps on fighting the plishtim. So they gather a whole army and they want to get Shimshon. They want to get Shimshon. And Shimshon now is, is living amongst the people of Yehuda, of the Shevet Yehuda. So the, the plishtim come with a big army and they come to the Shevet Yehuda and they say, we're coming to battle with you. And Yehuda said, why? What do we do? He says, we need Shimshon. This Shimshon keeps on fighting us. So give us Shimshon, and then we'll leave you alone. And you realize the Plishtim are the government. The Plishtim are the ones in charge. So the, the people of Yehuda, it says 3,000 men of Yehuda, came to Shimshon. And they said to Shimshon, what's with you? Don't you know that the Plishtim are the rulers over us now? We're not independent. We're in Israel, but we're not independent. The Plishtim are the rulers. Why are you doing this to get to get the plishtim upset with us. So Shimshon says, I didn't try to get anyone upset with me. They they betrayed me. So the man of Yehuda said, well, what can we do? The fact is they're here now with a big army. There's no way we can fight them. We have come to arrest you, to give you over into the hands of the plishtim. So Shimshon says, that's fine. As long as you don't touch me. If you, pro-, Shimshon tells the people from Yehuda, as long as you promise not to touch me, I don't care if you give me over the plishtim. With the plishtim, I can take care of myself. But I don't want to fight the Jew. I don't want to fight you. So they said, we won't touch you. We're just going to take you. We're going to tie you up. We're going to uh, tie you in, uh, in uh, with the cords, with ropes. And we'll give you over to the plishtim. We promise not to touch you. So Shimshon says, that's fine. So they tie him up with, uh, it says, uh, with powerful cord, powerful ropes. And they bring him up. And they... They give him over to the plishtim. They say, here he is. You asked for Shimshon, here he is. And the plishtim were all excited. It says the uh, blue crumpets. Finally, our big enemy who keeps on fighting us has been given over into our, into our hands. And Shimshon is walking towards the plishtim and he has these, uh, and his, his arms are tied with these cords, with these ropes. And as he's coming closer, again, the spirit of Hashem comes upon him and the ropes just fall off his arms as if they're, as if they're nothing, as if a piece of uh, nothing, nothing strong at all. And now he's facing the Plishtim army. And he has nothing. He's just, uh, he has nothing. And so it says he looks around and he sees a, um, um, he sees a, 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 a jawbone, a jawbone of a chamer of a donkey. And he takes it and he starts fighting an army. He starts, one man himself is fighting an army of Plishtim with a jawbone of an animal, of a donkey. And he's able to, He's able to be so successful, it says, that he's able to kill a thousand people. A thousand people who were coming to kill him from the army. And then the whole army ran from all sides because uh, they saw that this was he, was, he, had, he had divine powers, miraculous powers. And he was able to overcome uh, the, that army, that entire army. A th- again, a thousand people died and everyone else ran away. When he finished, he throws away the, the, uh, the jawbone. He thanks Hashem. He says, Hashem, uh, save me over here. At which point the Pasuk tells us something very interesting, that he became terribly, terribly thirsty. It's not easy fighting a whole army, army yourself. And he, became, he became very thirsty to the point that he felt he was dying. And he calls out to Hashem, and he says, nasata avdecha, He says, Hashem, you just did this tremendous salvation for me. 
Va'ata omus batsama, and now I'll die from thirst. V'nafalti biyad ha'arilim, and I'll fall to the hands of my enemies of these of these uh, of these wicked people. And Hashem made a miracle, and water came forth out of that jawbone of the donkey. That jawbone opened up and gave forth a tremendous amount of water, and he was able to drink, and he was able to, um, and he was able to save himself. So this was a miracle. But even in the miracle, Chazal tell us, what was the miracle that he was, he was, you know, the jawbone gave gave forth water and saved his life. Obviously, it was permissible for him to drink that water, but it was really coming from an impure animal. A donkey is not kosher. And here Chazal tell us that Shimshon's downfall was that he had the desire to connect to that which was impure. He keeps on, he marries the Plishti woman the first time. We'll see soon he's going to marry a second Plishti woman, and that woman is also going to bring about his downfall. And through that, again, he's going to smite the plishtim, as we see in the end of the story of, of, of Shimshon. And so therefore, Hashem says, he keeps on connecting that which is impure, so his life is also saved through the jawbone of the donkey, which is also impure. And ultimately, he drinks from that water. Um, and water comes forth, um, and he calls the place, um, it says, he calls the place, Ein uh, HaKoyre, Asher Balechi, the place that I called to Hashem, and Hashem answered me from the jawbone of that donkey. The Pasuk finishes, the chapter finishes, that then for the next 20 years, he judged the Jewish people under the plishtim in a peaceful manner. And there was no war, there, was, there wasn't battles, and at this point, Pinchas was a judge of the Jewish people. And that leads to the next pair of Herak to Zion, where he's going to marry another plishtim woman, that's going to be Delila, and that's going to lead ultimately to his um, final downfall and death, which I think we will, we don't have time to do that properly now. I think we'll start that Bezras Hashem next Monday night. Mirza Hashem. Can a couple questions? Sure. Um, 